It's time to get inside the Giants huddle. Huddle up, huddle up, huddle up. On Giants.com. Here we go, here we go. And the Giants mobile Get them in there, let's go. Part of the Giants podcast network. Welcome to another edition of the Giants Little Podcast, brought to you by PSENG, energy efficiency for game time and anytime. Visit PSEG.com slash Giants for discounts, rebates, and home energy assessments. We do our offensive line draft preview every year. And to do it with us this year, as always, is the one and only Sean O'Hara. This is a two-part podcast. We have Sean first, and we're going to have Brandon Thorne, who does the excellent Trench Warfare blog, which is basically in Substack which is basically just all offensive line play. He does a great job, and we'll dig into prospects with him. But we're going to start here with uh, Mr. O'Hara. Sean, top of the morning to you, brother. John, top of the morning to you as well. Woke up at a three-point stance, knew when I was going to talk about the O-line, and I love watching all these young guys uh, as we project them, wh- where they're going, when they're going. Um, and it's always fun to kind of get to know kind of the new up-and-coming stars of the league. All right, let's start here. Before we get into the draft class, the Giants, do you think center's a need? Because Joe Shane has spoken very confidently, some fans have complained overconfidently, about what the Giants have in-house in terms of you know center prospects, whether it's Shane Lemieux, whether it's Jack Anderson, um, whether it's Ben Bredesen. Do you feel confident if one of those three guys had to be the starting center in week one, or do you think they're going to add someone in the draft that will have a good chance to compete for that starting spot in week one? Yeah, I don't believe it. I mean, we're we're in we're in the uh, pre-draft, you know, uh, looking at, at college prospects at, coming out and who's going to draft who. So I call this this is all also the lying season. So you, you can't you kind of have to take everything with a little grain of salt when you hear that stuff. Every GM is going to say, "Hey, look, we you know we like where we're at right now because they don't want to show their cards. They don't want to show their hand." But if you look at the Giants right now, they don't have a true starting center on the roster. You know, with Feliciano gone and with Nick Gates signing down in Washington. You, know, you don't have a, a true starter. Sure, Shane Lemieux could slide over and play center. Sure, Jack Anderson could as well. That's like, hey, week three, we got an injury. Week four, we got an injury. We've got to you know, put some crazy glue on this thing for a week or two until our starter comes back. Absolutely, Shane Lemieux can play center in a pinch. But I, I, I don't know that that's necessarily the move that you want to make as before you even go into the season. Now, this year's draft, there is a plethora of really good quality centers. So I think for the Giants, it's all right. You don't ever want to reach, you know, overreach for a guy because you have a need. But if one of these centers happens to fall and is available in the second or third or fourth round, I think it's absolutely a great pickup and it checks a box in an area of certain need. Giants don't have a starting center right now. There are a multiple number of centers that can come in and can play week one and can be ready to rock and roll. So I think that that is uh, – it's a great position to be in if you're the Giants. It's a luxury. But, um, you know, with Shane Lemieux and with Jack Anderson, I think Shane is a really good left guard. He played left guard his entire career at Oregon. So um, I know I have experience. I went from guard to center. So unless Shane Lemieux was knocking on Joe Shane's door every single day saying, I want to be the center, I want to be the center, draft a guard, um, you know, I, I don't know that, that that's where, where Joe feels comfortable. Um, I will also say Shane Lemieux has been hurt every year. So it's kind of like, hey, you know, until you prove to us that you can be healthy and you can be available all season long, we can't count on you to be the starting center right now. Yeah, 100%. I, I get where you're coming from there, Sean. And we'll dig into those prospects in a second. But first – what makes a good center? When I'm sitting here on, on my computer watching tape of centers, fans are at home watching video of centers, and they're trying to figure out, all right, I'm watching this guy in college. What are the important things I should pay attention to to try to figure out if this guy's going to be a good center in the pros? Yeah, great question. I think physically the, the first thing that I look at with centers is their hands because center is even closer combat than guards and tackles. Like guards and tackles, you have to take one, maybe even two steps before you make contact. As a center, I mean, the guy is right here in your face. Like, you know what he had for breakfast. Like, he's that close. You can smell it. And I think for your hands are so crucial. So anytime I'm watching film, I, I want to see, all right, right out of the gate, what kind of footwork does the center have? What is his initial footwork? Are his hips loose enough that he can open up and he can reach? Is he, is he doing a false step? Um, and then what are his hands doing? Because the one thing that I kind of learned just as I morphed into the center position was I can move before anybody else. So are you using that as an advantage? And my left hand, I would move my left hand as I was snapping the ball because that was how I could initiate contact. 
like Bruce Lee said, the first meaningful contact in a battle always wins. So that was a key. So I'm always looking at the center's hands. Where are they? Are they wide? Are they slow? Are, do they come in from underneath? Do they have a little punch to them? Do they have some power? Um, that, that's a big thing technique-wise. But take the physical aspect outside of it. What makes a good center? Communication. The biggest thing other than the physical attributes of a center is can you communicate with your fellow office linemen? Can you get everybody cohesively working together and knowing exactly what to do? And can you also communicate with your quarterback? So you've got to have that synergy and you've got to have that ability to, okay, am I seeing the same thing my quarterback is? Here's the issue. Here's the problem. We have to redirect. Um, I think it's even more challenging now than, than it was 20 years ago offensively because you will call two plays, maybe three plays in the huddle. And as you come to the line, you have to decipher what's in front of you, what's happening. And defenses are constantly changing and, and they're moving a lot more now. You're seeing variable fronts. Used to be, John, hey, if you were playing the Pittsburgh Steelers, it was a 3-4 defense all day long. Um, if you're playing, you were, you were playing the Rams, it was a 4-3 defense all day long, and that was their base front. Teams now are not really in their base defense as much now. Everybody's running, you know, because everybody runs three wides, 11 personnel, you're seeing a lot more nickel defenses. You're seeing a lot more four down even looks, and then they will sprinkle on some odd fronts. So all of those things have kind of made it even more challenging now as offensive linemen, specifically centers, because you've got to decipher the code and figure it all out and then regurgitate it to your guards and your tackles. Um, you know, and usually, and I say this, this is a term of endearment, you know, the, the further you away from the ball you get, the dumber you get. Um, so the center, you, you've got, you've got to be on point. <laughs> I make sure I'll tell, tell David Deal you said that. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, when you see centers fail in the NFL, Sean, what are the most common things that they can't get right in the league? Is it physical? Is it mental? Is it connecting with the coaches, with technique? When you see an, a, a center fail and never figured out, and we, we've seen that with some first round, late first round centers even that have never figured it out. What do you think? Is there a common denominator or is it really just, you know, individual basis type thing? Well, I think there's a number of reasons. Um, you know, anytime you see uh, young centers are going to struggle because, you know what, mentally sometimes they just feel like they, they can't keep up and, and it takes a little while to kind of for that to slow down. But from a physical standpoint, you know, as a center, you're usually getting some sort of help from your guards and your combo blocking. So I feel like your technique and your, and your footwork and, like I mentioned, your hands – are so paramount. So you've got to you've got to hone that craft. And the guys that can work can really do a good job with their hands. You know, look, I was an undersized center my entire career. So the smaller guys, you know, they have to find a way. Tyler Lindenbaum comes to mind down in Baltimore. You know, like his first couple of weeks in the NFL, it was a different game, and he kind of struggled. And then he kind of figured out, all right, how do I get my hands inside? I used to watch film on Tom Nalen, and that was the biggest thing with him was, you know, he never wore gloves, but his hands were always inside. And, you know, of course, with Terrell Davis, they, they mastered that outside zone running scheme. Um, so that, that's a, a big part of it. But I, I think, you know, ultimately what happens with, with guys is you struggle in pass pro. And when defenses know that, you know what, you're not great in pass protection, they will single you up. They will put somebody on you. They will shade somebody on your shoulder, usually to your snap hand, making it tough. And they will try to expose you. And the way that they single you up is, they go what we call five down. So the guards are covered, tackles are covered. And then now, um, you know, they have somebody on your shoulder. Now, if he's head up on you, that makes it easy. Now, all of a sudden, because now you just can grab him and he's not on the edge, you don't have to kind of move. So I think a lot of times, you know, the centers that I've seen struggle in pass pro, not only do you get the guy on you, but now all of a sudden they start bringing twists up the middle and blitzers. So if you are struggling with change of direction, um, you're going to see a lot of blitz. You're going to see a lot of inside. We call them uh, cross dogs, uh, and that's basically where the linebackers will cross or the, uh, the linebacker will cross uh, on the opposite A-gap of the nose, and they will kind of knife um, and make it tough on you. A lot of times you end up having to pass that off with a running back, so that's really tough. Um, but I think as a center, the, the thing that you really have to get good at is anticipation. You've got to see a front, and you have to anticipate this is what's going to happen, that something is different something's happening and I've got to get back because 
from an alignment standpoint, the center is in front of the guards. Like if you look at the center, the two guards are kind of flanked. So you're already kind of out on an island. So you've got to kind of get some depth whenever you anticipate a stunt like that. Um, I, I feel like, you know, young centers can learn so much and they can grow with, you know, from their first year to the second year and to the third year. You pretty much know by the second year if a guy's going to have a 10-year career or if he's, you know, going to be done after four. Interesting. All right, before we get to the prospects, one more. Because you mentioned a couple things there. One, they're going to try to single you up. Two, you played as an undersized center. Well, whoever the giant center is going to be for the next five, ten years is going to have to deal with Jordan Davis in Philadelphia and the other you know, slew of defensive tackle pass rushers they have there. Deron Payne just signed long-term in Washington. Jonathan Allen's long-term in Washington. Dallas has the more stunts and crosses than you can count during these games. Is getting a center with a little bit more size, you think, important for the Giants, given the nature of the division and the opponents? Or do you think an undersized guy could survive in this division? And I ask that just because I watched Dexter Lawrence kill Bradbury last year. He was a good center, but he's small, right? So do you think you have to try to get somebody bigger? Or do you think the right guy, even if he's a little smaller, could survive in the NFC East, given the competition? Yeah, it's a great question. I think from a... Jumping off point, it's okay. Every, how do we beat the birds? Right, right now, everybody in the draft, the free agency is all right. Who won the division? The Eagles. All right, they represent the NFC in the Super Bowl, so we've got to beat them. How do we beat them? You have to protect the quarterback. So no doubt, it's how do we block Fletcher Cox? You know, you mentioned Jordan Davis. All right, how do we block these guys down in Washington? Dallas has got some unbelievable pass rushers as well. So you've got to protect the quarterback. Um, you know, you bring up the the undersized center, and I'll, I'll give the example I'll give is Jason Kelsey down in, in Philly, you know, he's an undersized guy, but he's got great technique. He's got really good footwork. He's really strong, even though he's not this huge, massive guy. So, um, you know, I kind of look at like Frank Ragnow in Detroit. He's kind of a bigger center. Um, so it's, you know, you can win with both. I think the thing with Kelsey down in Philadelphia is he's got some stud guards. So you've got Landon Dickerson at left guard, who's, who's you know, a big, strong dude um, at right guard. I think it was Sam Malu. Yep. So, you know, who are you putting next to your center? If you have an athletic center, you better not have two athletic guards um, because now you don't have enough mass and you don't have that beef. So you can absolutely, you know, win and, and build your roster and your team with with a, an undersized athletic center. But again, if you're going to do that, then you've got to maximize that center potential. All right, now he's able to get to the linebackers. He's able to get to the second level. You better run a lot of screens. You better run a lot of toss uh, plays, a lot of perimeter plays. You know, get some gadgets going and let him get out in space where he can excel. Um, you know, that's Kelsey has done a great job of that. And you see last year, it, was, it seemed like every single week he had a highlight block, whether it was on a screenplay or a draw play or something, you know, getting up to the second level, knocking a linebacker down. Um, but, but I think ultimately, anytime you're trying to build an offensive line, if there's a bigger guy and a smaller guy, I think everybody's going to say, hey, if this big guy can move, you know what? I'm going to go with, give me the 6'5 guy over the guy that's 6'1. Well, I guess I'll ask uh, the follow up then is how would you classify the Giants' running attack? Because I thought they did a little bit of everything last year, to be honest with you. I wouldn't classify them as a gap scheme team, I wouldn't classify them as an outside zone team. I think depending on the week, and I think they change throughout the year too, what they like to run, Sean. So how would you classify the Giants' rushing attack when you're trying to find the right fit for the type of scheme that they run? Yeah, um, I, I find the same way. I, I don't look at it and say, it, you know, it's a fullback and tight end, you know, bring everybody in the box. We're running power, old school football. Like, I, I don't see it as that. Um, a lot of times, that you know, there were no fullback and it was two or three tight ends and they would run what we call duo, which is everybody just kind of having double teams. But you know, even with that, that's, you know, it's more of a zone blocking kind of scheme, but with double teams. So it's not what we call a gap scheme. Gap scheme is when you are down blocking and you're creating a gap. You're down and you're pulling, defense, yeah. you're pulling a guard and a fullback. So you're, a gap scheme is you're trying to create a gap and you're attacking a gap on that defense, whereas zone is you're kind of getting the guys moving. So I thought the Giants actually, you know, tried to do both. And I think sometimes the defense you're playing can dictate whether you're going to run more zone or run get more gap scheme. I think the best offenses can do it all. And so uh, you don't ever want to just kind of pigeonhole your offense and say, this is the type of running game we're going to be. And you know what? Sometimes you're going to, you know, you're going to come up against a defense that, you know, you're just hitting your head against the wall and you don't want to 
keep doing that. So you've got to have that flexibility. But I will say this. I've always felt like Saquon was a better running back from the home position. I've always felt like he was better at being, having the ability to press the hole and cut up as opposed to being in shotgun. And, you know, as I'm a former office lineman, so shotgun runs now I feel like are much more prevalent than they were 10 years ago. But it's a tough entry point because if you're in a shotgun position and the running back is on one side of the quarterback and you hand the ball off, you have shrunk the field. Like now there's it's harder for him to press the whole front side. And so now he's automatically already looking for the cut back. And so it makes it really tough because you basically hold the defense. You don't have to defend that, that front side of the field right now because he's never going to get there because he's on the back side of the quarterback. So I feel like th- those kind of runs can be tricky and can be tough. Um, you, you need athletic guys, but you, you know, you need, um, you need a running back that can kind of see what the defense is doing pre-snap. So I felt like Saquon from the home position, if you give him six and a half to seven yards to kind of read the defense and press the hole, I feel like that is where he's at his best. His power comes through and he can run through the arm tackles. And I feel like we saw a little bit more of that last year in hitting the hole and just running through people. All right. So let's dive into the class, Sean. And based on what you said in your first answer, you don't see a, a surefire first-round type of talent at the position in this draft. Huh? I, and you were, at, by the way, on the field with them at the Combine. You watched their Senior Bowl stuff. Uh, you watched their college tape. You don't see a, a, a Linderbaum, Creed Humphrey-level player in this draft? I, look, it, it could happen, no doubt about it. I think Joe Tipman is probably the, the the best prospect when I look at all of the centers and, you know, all right, where what are they going to be like two or three years from now? So, look, somebody could definitely take him, you know, later on in the first round. I, I don't see somebody taking a center in the first 15 to 20 picks. Um, you know, look, I, I think right now the premium is on the tackle position. And if you're going to draft an offensive lineman in the first round, it's probably going to be a tackle. Um, or, you know, unless there's some guy that you just have a guard that you have rated through the roof. Um, you know, I think you guys like Paris Johnson, I think Peter Skowanski will probably be the first tackle taken the Northwestern tackle. Um, he, he's done a great job. I think he's probably the most polished out of all the tackles coming out of the league, the most athletic, the most balanced. Paris Johnson from Ohio State is, is a very interesting guy. Uh, played guard a lot. Last year was his first year at left tackle, so I feel like he's really athletic. He's a great kid. He's got great hands, great feet. He's just a little bit raw. He's a little bit green. Um, he just needs more time and more reps. Uh, but those kind of guys, you know, at that size and that athletic ability, it's tough to, to pass on a guy like that in the first round if you need a tackle. So luckily for the Giants, they don't necessarily need a tackle. So in, in, in certainly not in the first you know three rounds are they going to go that way. But I look at these centers and, you know, there, there's a lot of these centers where, man, if they're sitting there in the second round or third round, I think that's extremely high value for some of these guys. Um, so guys like Joe Tittman, um, John Michael Schmidt from Minnesota, Luke Whipler from Ohio State. I even like Stromberg from Arkansas. I think he's kind of like the dark horse out of all these centers. Uh, but, yeah, this year at the Combine, John, I don't think I've seen this many offensive linemen snapping at the coaches during the drill. So it was it was pretty cool to see that many centers invited to the Combine. I think there were seven total centers there. Yeah, I want to get to Stromberg and, and, and Juice Scruggs, some of the later centers in a second. But you mentioned kind of those consensus top three, which I think you tend to agree with. Whipler, Schmitz, and Tippmann. Separate them for me. What makes them different? How are they similar? And, you know, what would you be looking for if you draft each one of those three guys? Yeah, so Joe, let's start with Tipman from Wisconsin. The first thing that you see from him, you turn on any game film um, from Wisconsin, and he's he's pulling, like every fifth play. There he is, snapping the ball. He's getting out in front of, of, of the running play, and it's a perimeter play. Sometimes it's a, a weak side zone play, and the guard's down blocking. He's getting out of space. So he's very comfortable on the move, blocking on the move. Um, I think, you know, people look at his size. He's 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. Um, he's got great knee bend. You know, the first thing that I think of is, man, if you got a 6'6 center, this guy's going to get bull rushed all day long because he's so tall, they're going to be underneath him. You know, most nose guards are vertically challenged. And, you know, as you know, low man wins. So the first thing that I look at is, do they have good knee bend? He does. He, he's got really good flexibility, really good knee bend, strong lower legs. Um, so I think that's a feather in his cap. I thought he did a great job 
combo blocks up to the second level. Um, you know, never lost any power. Uh, great momentum. I think he can make all of the blocks. He's really good at reach blocking. Um, so I, I think that for Tipman, he's I think he's the cream of the crop when it comes to this this center group. Um, could somebody take him in the first round? Absolutely. If somebody falls in love with him. Uh, but if you get a guy like him in the second round, you know, he's a plug and play starter. Week one, he's starting. He's going to be your guy. And I think he's one of those guys that can morph into a, a Pro Bowl type of player. Uh, just kind of physically, there are some characteristics that I see in him that are very similar to Frank Ragnow, the center for the Detroit Lions. Um, and he's he's a, a big, tall center, uh, physical guy. And, you know, the, the Giants played the Lions last year and they were one of the more physical teams in the league last year. So I think he can he can fit that. How about John uh, Michael Schmitz and uh, Whipler? Yeah, John Michael Schmidt, I like watching him. You know, he's a Minnesota gopher. Um, I think when you look at his game, he is a smash mouth kind of guy. And he's a, he's got a great finish to him. Um, I think he's got the right amount of nastiness. Like, he's not going to cost you anything. He's, he's not going to create penalties. He's not overboard. You know, we've seen that from some guys that kind of take that to the extreme. But he's a finisher. He plays through the whistle. Um, you know, he likes putting guys down on the ground and, he likes finishing blocks and, and he likes pancakes, clearly. Um, he's a much more in-line blocker. You know, I, you're not going to see him pulling out on perimeters. You know, he's not, he doesn't have that same athletic ability that Tipman does. Um, I think in the combo blocks, the, the, the thing that I just wanted to see a little bit more was a little bit more leg drive, a little more acceleration as he bounced up to the second level. Um, but I think he's a very good center. I think he's going to continue to get better. Um, he's bigger, he's thicker, he's got a very thick lower body. And, you know, if mass is your thing and you want a big, thick center, um, that's the guy that, that, that you want. So I saw him run a lot of outside zone, make a lot of nice reach blocks on, on the tape from Minnesota too. Yeah. I mean, as much as I say, he's just, he's an inline blocker. Like he can reach, he can absolutely, you know, reach, you know, outside zones. Um, you know, he, he's, he's got pretty good lateral capability um you know i i think you know there there's things that you show up on tape and you say okay you know what those are things that he can correct and he can get better at, he can improve on but um he's got all the skills uh, all the intangibles um you know i think I, I, I think he's got great demeanor um you know just talking to some people the interviews at the combine and talking with this kid he's one of those kids that like you're never going to worry about your phone ringing at 2 a.m with don michael schmidt all right how about whipler jersey guy yeah, Jersey boy. Um, I really like Whipler. Um, you know, he's kind of flew under the radar with, you know, some of the all, all the talent around him at Ohio State. Not the biggest guy. Like, he's, he didn't, he's not going to wow you with anything, any numbers, you know, verticals or um, any of the combine measurements. But when you turn on the film, of all the centers in this draft, I feel like he's the most polished. Like, he fits the part. He's got great hands. All of his footwork in combo blocks reach blocks. He's got really great footwork. He's always balanced. Uh, I mean, I don't see him on the ground. Like one of the things that I always put down as in red ink, whenever I'm watching film and taking notes is how many times guys on the ground and as offensive lineman, if you're on the ground, like you can't win, you're not helping your team. You can't block people if you're flopping around. So for Luke Whipler, he can do it all. I think he's great at the point of attack. He's great with the zone scheme blocking. Uh, like Titman, he likes to get out in space. He likes to pull. Um, so he's, you know, you see him in screens, you see him in toss, toss plays, um, working to get up to the second level on, on, you know, combo blocks. I, I think Whipler is a really good prospect coming out. I really like him. Um, he's got a little, he's got a little personality too. So, uh, maybe that's the Jersey boy in him. Uh, but I think he could be one of the guys that we look back on in this draft a few years from now and say, boy, that guy, you know, he didn't get enough publicity leading up to the draft. But I think by, by year three, people are going to know who Luke Whipler is. All right. Those are probably the, the, the day two centers. You mentioned, you know, Stromberg already from Arkansas as potential day three guy. I think you mentioned Juice Scruggs earlier as well. Who else would you like on day three if the Giants are still looking for, for a center? And uh, uh, just talk about those two guys that I mentioned. Yeah, I think Stromberg, you know, he's, I mean, he's probably got the most amount of film out there and, you know, just, just a, a, a lunch bucket guy and, you know, probably not as much accolades as some of the other guys, um, but just tough, really good techniques. Um, 
you know, he's one of those guys that I think would really fit into the the room uh, with the Giants. And I think Bobby Johnson loves to have a guy like that. He's just going to come in. He's going to go to work. He's going to put his head down. Um, and he's got some feistiness to him as well. So I, I think that's a big part of that, the room, the culture of that O-line room has changed significantly um, in, in just one year with Bobby Johnson uh, running that group. So I think Stromberg uh, could be a good guy. Juice Scruggs, you mentioned, um, you know, there's, there's a couple of guys that played center in addition to it. I know uh, Osiris Torrance is a guard and he played a little center in, in the senior bowl. Um, Steve Avila, uh, Alon Ali from, from TCU, um, Alex Forsythe from Oregon. Um, you know, he's probably a later and even later round uh, center. Garrett uh, Patterson, another one of those combo guys, right? Yeah, Patterson uh, from Notre Dame. Um, the, the interesting guy that I've kind of heard his name mentioned a couple different times is Cody Mock, who played tackle at, uh, at North Dakota State. Um, but he also played a little guard at some of the bowl games, the senior bowl, I believe. He moved in a guard, and I think he even took some center snaps. So he could literally – he could play it all. I don't know if he's big enough to be a tackle in the league. So I could see a team looking at Cody Mock. If Cody Mock's sitting there in the third round, I, I mean, I'd be shocked if Cody Mock was available in the third round. But um, if he's sitting there and someone says, hey, look, like he's an offensive lineman. He's a player. We'll find a place. We'll find a way to get him on the field. He could be kind of a dark horse as, hey, maybe he wants to move to center in the league. I certainly did that. I played left tackle at Rutgers, uh, moved to center. Like Nick Gates did the same thing. He was a tackle at college and then moved inside and played guard and center. So I think Cody Mock is a guy that, um, you know, Giants fans should keep their eye out on because he could end up being a guy that the Giants pluck up if he's, you know, sitting around there. Yeah, the Giants do need a guard, Sean, and you mentioned some of them in your last answer. Any other guards that when you were at the Combine and Indy really jump out to you where if the Giants are looking to kind of beef up that left guard spot? And look, Lewinsky, he's only got two years left on his contract. You got to, you know, try to get some backup there. I know Josh Azuda's here, who's a young player they drafted last year, McKeithen too. Uh, but any guards that that you really kind of saw at the Combine, you're like, oh, all right, I could love to see that guy in big blue. Yeah, Osiris Torrance uh, is, the, is the guy that, that jumps out at you. Um just this kid's a total stud and, and you know, played five years, uh, four years at Louisiana and then transferred to Florida, um, followed Billy Napier, the coach and his O-line coach as well to Florida. And, you know, it's funny every year, you know, you get like all these stats from, you know, different people like, Hey, this offensive lineman only gave up one pressure or one sack in his senior year. Well, Cyrus Torrance did not give up a single sack in his entire college career. Like in five years of playing football, not one sack. That to me was remarkable. Um, you know, I don't know how you do that, but um, that really kind of jumps out of you. And then you watch him on film, and this dude—I mean, look—he, I think he was 400 pounds at one point in his in his life. So he's been big his whole life. Um, it, weight's not really an issue. He's been able to keep that off. But this dude has huge hands. Like he almost looks like one of the Marvel superheroes, and like. When he punches guys, I mean, that's it. It's 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 lockdown central, and he's got great, violent, physical hands. So as a guard, you love anytime somebody's got a big punch like that. And, you know, from a power standpoint, he can anchor with the best of them. Um, I think he's he's got some some nastiness to him. You know, he kind of likes pounding guys. He likes pile driving guys. And I think that's what you want. If you're going to get a right guard, I've always felt like when you look at offensive linemen, the right guard has to be the most physical guard. Left guard, you're asking to pull a lot more. They can be a little more athletic. Uh, but your right guard, typically teams run that power football. They run their strength to the right. So you've got to have a powerful right guard. When I played, Chris Nee was one of the toughest SOBs out there. He was always one of the strongest guys on the field, uh, certainly one of the strongest guys on our team. And that was always a big part of our running game was we had our powerful right guard. No matter who was there, he was going to move them. That's what you get in a guy like uh, Osiris Torrance. His nickname is Cybo. His, his mom named him Cyborg. So if that gives you any insight into what kind of kid you're, you're talking about. Um, there's another guy that jumped out from a power standpoint, Emil Ekior, uh from Alabama. Uh, didn't give up a sack in, in, in his last two years at Alabama. And you think about the competition he was going against. Um, you know, won a national championship in Alabama a couple of years ago. Um, and it's funny because, you know, he was at the Combine. 
and he's from Indianapolis. So it was like a home game for him. You know, he, he grew up right around there. So he was in his glory. Um, interesting because we were talking earlier about, hey, maybe somebody that is a guard that can maybe move to center. He played center uh, a little bit and actually at the senior bowl, stepped in a number of times in some one-on-ones um, and in some different drills and played center. And I tell you what, he, he's extremely stout. This guy's got some thick, powerful legs. And, you know, whether it was at center, whenever, whether it was at guard, he was not going backwards. Like whether it was a run one-on-one run play, blocking play or pass blocking play, nobody was pushing him back. So he's a, he was a very stout guy, kind of really jumped out at me. Um, you know, the, the other guys, everybody kind of just Steve Avila from TCU is a guy that, you know, is highly decorated, has a ton of film out there, um, really powerful guy. So, again, another powerful guard. Um, I think he played left guard at, at TCU, but I could see him, you know, moving over to the right side uh, as well. Yeah, he actually, I think he played four different positions there at one point or another. Yeah, I think he played center um, and, and moved out to guard his last year. Um, so I, I think that's that. He's a guy that that a lot of people are really high on. Um, but it's you know when you look at those guards, it's you know the, the best guards in this draft are all big boys. They're big, powerful guys. All right, um, I'll real quick. You don't have to go too in depth on this. The Giants need a swing tackle, right? They have Neil and Andrew Thomas. They're pretty happy with that. Any tackles out there? Maybe developmental guys that you saw at the combine where you're like, oh, you know what? This guy looks like he can move. Maybe he has to do some development stuff like that. Some of the Giants could take on on day three that maybe could be a developmental guy out there at tackle. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned um, I mentioned Cody Mock. He won't be there. Um, you know, Ryan Hayes from Michigan. That's a good one. Uh, by the senior bowl, I think, you know, he's a, he's a guy that could absolutely use another year um, to kind of develop and just get a little bit stronger. I thought there was times at the senior bowl where he just kind of got, he just got out muscled and, you know, he's, he's a good player, uh, plays hard, like does not take any plays off, uh, but he could be a late round guy that, that you pick up. Um, I think there's another guy down in Maryland, Jalen Duncan, who I really liked his athleticism. I think he's kind of under the radar because he played at Maryland and people didn't, you know, people weren't watching Maryland every single Saturday at 12 o'clock. Um, but I think he's he's a guy that's got some really good footwork, some really good balance. He's got a really good punch. So he could end up being a nice steal. Um, the guy that we didn't really hit on, and, and I don't, you know, not a lot of people are talking about is but Matt Bergeron from Syracuse. Good player. Undersized tackle, not as big as some of these other guys that are coming out of Ohio State and Georgia, um, but a really sound, really good, polished tackle. He's got great hands. Um, every every time I watched him in one on ones, um, you know, in, at the Senior Bowl, his footwork it was so natural. Like a lot of guys, you look at them and it's like they're laboring through their kick slide. His kick slide was very smooth, very natural, and his hands were always inside. So. Uh, there was a couple times that, you know, guys bull rushed him and, you know, he had a hard time anchoring with that and sitting down. But, you know, that happens in the NFL every single day. You go to watch an NFL practice like you and I do in training camp. You know, the bull rush is kind of like it's almost like an unwritten code. Like you don't do the bull rush in the one on one pass rush because it's not really fair. Like you're just all you're doing is trying to drive the guy back. It's kind of like a jerk move. Um, but I, I think Bergeron is a guy that can. Uh, that could really surprise some people, and you know he would be a great late pickup if he's around. Um, right. See, I'm looking at my notes right now. There was another tackle that I kind of liked. That um, see if I could find him. Um, so, well, Darnell Wright is is probably going to be pretty high. He's yep. going to be probably a high draft pick. I don't think he'll be down there later on, but he was a guy that kind of flew under the radar. Um, Dalton Wagner. We talked about Stromberg from Arkansas. Dalton Wagner, it was a six-year guy, played a ton of football. Um, he's got a great personality. He actually signed with the WWE. He had, he, as a, he had an NIL deal with the WWE. Um, and you know, it was for food, I think. And and so <laughs> offensive lineman, it was kind of like, hey, this is great. Everybody's that is the that. most offensive line thing I've heard in my entire life, Sean. I, yeah, I can't get 100%. over how offensive line that is. Yeah, yeah. I don't, hey, you don't need money. Just give me. Can I get like the gold pass to Outback? Please, <laughs> gold card. Um, so yeah, I think his NIL deal was was for food, um, and he's um, actually he's got a, a little uh, little football on his blood. His cousin. 
uh, it was Keith Lumpkin, who was an office okay. lineman at Rutgers. Um, so uh, I think, uh, you know, when, when you look at Dalton Wagner, he's a six, eight kind of guy. Um, so I know I, I don't love giving NFL comparisons because I, I don't like pigeonholing guys or saying that, but like he kind of reminded me of Mark Colombo. Mark Colombo was a really tall guy, six, eight. Um, you know, look, he just like, when you look at him, you're like, Hey, he doesn't look super athletic. And they're like, you know, he kind of, but he, he, but he's a good alignment. Like he's just got really good technique. He's got really good footwork. He's, he's strong, even though he doesn't look like he's this huge, powerful guy. Um, just got really good technique. He's a guy that I think, um, man, if he's, if he's around there in the fifth, sixth or seventh round, um, I think he would be a steal. All right. Final question, Sean, not offensive line, just general big picture giants here. What would you like to see them walk away with, with their first three picks? If there's any, you know, you can be positions, you can pinpoint players at positions and spots, however you want to handle this. I leave the floor open to you. If you were trying to, and by the way, Sean will be with us on our draft coverage uh, later in the week. We should have fun with that. So give me, you know, what are your hopes and dreams for the Giants as they kind of, you know, walk out of round one, two, and three with, you know, either positions or players that you would hope they, they could walk away with to improve their team this year and set themselves up for the future? Yeah, John, looking forward to our draft coverage uh, um, later on this week. And, of course, you know, at that point, we'll talk about how wrong I was with all of these answers I'm about to give you. Um, I've been so, wrong for a month and a half, Sean. It's fine. Yeah, just just it, get on the it, bandwagon. We're, we're all in this together, man. In the tail of the donkey, you know. Um, <laughs> so, look, I, I think if you're a Giants fan right now, you're like everybody's saying, look, we, can we get a receiver? Um, you know, we, we just talked about interior O-linemen. You know, I think that those are positions that you want to strengthen the team, um, certainly for offensive linemen. Like, they, they need some younger um, so, some, some younger blood, some younger life, and, and you need some depth as well. So those are two areas of need. I, I think if the Giants can find a receiver – in the first or second round that look, I'm not, not everybody's caught up on size. Uh, there's a couple of tall receivers in this draft, you know, um, the kid from TCU, um, Quentin Johnston, yeah. six, two, six, two, six, three. Yeah. Quentin Johnson. He's a big kid. I think there's like one other get the kid from Tennessee um, is six, two, six, three. So Tillman. You know, that's what everybody wants that. Give me that big, tall number one receiver. Look, I don't care what the size of the receiver is that the Giants kid. The, the word that I'm looking for is space. Right. Can, can the receiver create space? Because last year, Daniel Jones, you know, when, when you look at the offense of what he was able to do, um, there was not a lot of space that he was throwing the receivers to. Like they did not create a lot of space and a lot of separation. And you can do that with size. You can do it with speed. So I, I think that's one area. Look, if in the first three rounds, the guys can get a, a receiver that can create some space and some separation. That's a plus. I think in the league right now, Take the quarterback out of it. The premium positions are tackles. All right. Giants are good there on tackles. Corners. You never have enough corners. Most teams play nickel defense more than any other base cover. So you need three starting corners. I could see that. I think the Giants need a corner. Um, and then I don't think you can have enough pass rushers. So if the Giants got a receiver, a corner, and a pass rusher in the first three picks, um, I think that would be a, a really good move. And I would be fine if they went off as a lineman instead of a pass rusher or vice versa. But again, it all depends on what is the run, you know, early on in the draft as opposed to what's available um, from a value standpoint. So uh, you can never have too many pass rushers on third down. It's always nice to be able to rotate guys in there. Oh, I'm going hate that. Um, you can never have too many starting corners. Um, and, you know, I think for, for the Giants, absolutely help at receiver and depth, all along the interior offensive line is a must. Yeah, you can see Shona Harris and I on our coverage on Thursday night after the Giants make their first pick. We will react to that pick right on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. Sean, good stuff, my friend. I'll see you in a few days. Thank you. Sounds good. Thanks, John. Looking forward to it. All right, we thank Sean O'Hara. Great job out of him talking and going inside that center class. And now for the back half of our offensive line draft preview, we're joined by Brandon Thorne. Second year he's joined us here. He's Trench Warfare podcast, Substack, newsletter. Brandon, did I miss anything else? Uh, no, I don't think so. Establish the run, but that's during the season. Um, but yeah, that's that's pretty much it right now. Yeah, and Brandon lives for tracking the offensive line stuff throughout the year. So great guy to have on. He takes a real deep look at these prospects. And, you know, Brandon, I'm sure usually when you do a lot of these hits, you get a lot of questions about the tackle class and all that stuff. Well, the Giants, fortunately, have had a couple of 
you know, high draft pick to tackle that at least Andrew Thomas has turned into a very good player. And Evan Neal had a rough first year, but they hope he improves and, and kind of takes that step forward. I guess why don't we start here before we get into the draft class, your, your thoughts on Evan Neal's first year and, and kind of where his next steps have to be for him to kind of develop into a top offensive lineman the same way Andrew Thomas did. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I think you kind of touched on it a little bit. I mean, it was, it was very up and down. Um, he had his moments, you know, there was a couple games, especially I think later second half of the year uh, there was, there were some games where, you know, he would string, you know, almost a whole game together, you know, of, of a lot of good reps. Um, so you, you saw some of the progression. I think so much of what, you know, most of these young guys, him included, you know, you saw with Andrew Thomas, it's so technique based. Um, Cause I mean, it's not like Andrew Thomas got any stronger or more athletic or anything like that. I mean, it's just learning. I think so much of it is in pass protection, you know, especially um, getting to your landmarks, your set points uh, based on the different passing concepts, based on the depth of the quarterback, uh, the, just the timing of the of the play. And then also factoring in uh, who you're going against, uh, what alignment they're in. That's going to dictate kind of where you need to be, when you need to be there. Um, it's it's a process. Uh, it's, you know, offensive line is such a skill-based position. Um, much more so than defensive line or or pretty much most positions, I think, um, just because it's so unnatural, you know, kind of moving backwards and, and things like that and pass protection. So I think if he could play with better timing, get out of his stance more consistently, um, you know, snap timing is huge, especially for tackles. You, you typically want one of the things you look for for tackles is you want that guy, those guys to be the first ones out of their stance because uh, they're dealing with so much space and a better athlete across from them, you know, nine times out of 10. So I think uh, it starts there with how he gets out of his stance. If he can get out of his stance quickly, pretty much every time or most of the time, that's going to just give him that extra half second, you know, to uh, to be in the right position. So he could kind of dictate terms to the pass rusher, because if he plays on the pass rusher's terms, uh, you know, it's not going to go well. He's going to have to reach. It's, he's going to have to lunge to try to make contact. He's going to get off balance things like that. But if he could dictate term terms at six, seven, three forty, you know, then I, I think, you know, he, he, he'll be all right. So um, you saw flashes of it. You know, I think uh, we, we saw a lot of it at Bama as well, of course, but yeah, I, I think it's a process and he's, he's young enough to where, you know, I wouldn't be too concerned. He has a long runway to improve here. So. Yeah. I'm with you. I think kind of that lunging and getting out over his pads kind of messed up with his balance a lot on, on some of those reps you're talking about. And this would be the last tackle question I asked for you. Giants could use maybe a long-term swing tackle behind those two guys. They have Matt Parrott, who's been around for a while, a couple other guys, but, it, and we were just talking before we started day three offense, you know, offensive lineman, you kind of been doing some research on that. Who is, who's a, maybe a day three tackle you could pick in this draft, Brandon, that you think could kind of develop into a, a swing tackle down the road. There's a lot of them uh, that I that I like. Uh, depends on if they make it to day three, though. You know, Nick Saldaveri, Tyler Steen, Carter Warren. Those are probably my three favorite uh, swing tackle guys who I have graded, you know, anywhere from late third round to fourth round. So, you know, they could go anywhere in there. It's kind of a fringe, you know, top 100 guys. Uh, so those are three, you know, right off the bat, I think. That could be that should be swing tackles right away, and if not, potentially win a job somewhere. Uh, you know, a little bit further down the line, you're looking at guys like maybe Wanya Morris, Asim Richards, um, Jalen Duncan, potentially. Uh, those are probably the next guys. I think Warren McClendon has a has a shot at being a swing tackle as well. Uh, that's the guy I have graded kind of closer to the fifth, sixth round, but. There's there's some options down there, man. Um, and I think the Giants would be a good spot for them to go to as well because there's obviously no pressure to play and uh, they could truly be swing tackles there. And um, so, yeah, I think those names, if they're going to get one, th those would be the five or so names that I would bet on. Good names. All right, let's dive into the center class here. And this is more towards the top of the draft, Brandon. So why don't we start here? Do you think there's a first round center in this draft or do you think you should start thinking about it more in round two? Your, your overall kind of 20,000 foot view of that class. Yeah, I, I don't have a first round center in this class. Uh, so, yeah, second round would, would be where I would go. And um, there's, you know, my, my number one center is John Michael Schmitz. So 
I have a second round grade on him, kind of like middle of the second. Uh, he could potentially go in the late first, though. I wouldn't be shocked at all. Um, and then my number two center would probably be, it's kind of like a tie between Cody Malk and Joe Tittman, you know, and either of those guys could play guard as well. But I, I would ideally like to see both those guys at center. Um, but I think Tittman has a better chance of playing guard than Malk, but they both could play guard. So I don't know. That one's kind of, those guys are more fringe where, you know, JMS, John Michael Schmitz is more like a strict center. So those would be the three guys, you know, that I all have graded in, you know, middle to late second, early third kind of range for me. How close is Whipler to those guys for you? Uh, not very close. I, I have Stromberg uh, fourth. Um, I really like Ricky Stromberg um, as a fourth round grade. Uh, and then Whipler is like later fourth. I just worry about his size. You know, he's small. Um Man, you know, there's not a lot of small centers that are good in the NFL. Uh, it's just, you know, it's tough. Uh, I've kind of, you know, fallen victim to to liking the the small center before. So maybe a little bit of bias there against that because he reminds me a lot of Garrett Bradbury coming out. Um, you know, very athletic, moves very well, um, but short arms, short, small stature. Uh, you know, guys get into his frame pretty easily. Um, you know, he, he kind of gets caught up at the first level, uh, especially outside zone, head up, nose tackle, um, you know, trying to rip through, get to the second level. I saw him get kind of caught up quite a bit, be late in those situations. Long, long arm linebackers can stack and shed him pretty easily. Uh, but I heard he's wired really well. He, he's a really good teammate, uh, really good worker and he's young. So I would definitely draft him for sure. I just, you know, I, I struggle to see a, a real long-term high-quality starter. Um, I think that's in the range of outcomes, but I'd let somebody else do that if it's in the first three rounds, personally. Totally get it. Um, all right, so let's now circle back to where we started. John Michael Schmitz, what sets him apart for you from the other guys as being your number one center on the board? Uh, I mean, consistency, you know, really. Um, experience, there's a lot of tape of him doing the same thing over and over again uh you know it's it's easy to feel good about his evaluation um you know the the ceiling I, I don't know that he has the physical tools to get to an all pro or pro bowl level uh guy whereas maybe Tipman or Malk you know could maybe scratch that a little bit you know down the line but um if you want a guy who's going to be solid right away uh and maybe just be solid and that's it that's that's your guy and I, I just feel better about that um as opposed to to betting on something you know, um, betting on a guy to kind of like develop, you know, further than he needs to develop. I, I guess it just depends on the situation and who I was scouting for. If if maybe I would value Tipman above JMS, that I think that's potentially, you know, uh, I think that's valid, but they're close, very close for me. But I just give the edge to JMS just because we've seen it for, you know, multiple years now, several years, and it's very consistent um, I love that he's come from a multiple run scheme. Um, they're running power, duo, counter, outside zone, inside zone, pin pull. Uh, you've seen him execute every single thing you'd want to see. Um, and another big thing about him is I think he's the stronger guy of these three in terms of play strength. And, man, that really sets the floor to me for an offensive lineman. And if a guy plays strong, and I think he does, uh, and he's also very skilled in the run game, you know, he's on the ground a little bit too much. Um, his body control isn't great. You know, he, he reminds me a lot of Ben Jones, uh, you know, for the Titans, who's, you know, fourth round guy, you know, not a great athlete, but man, 10 years, you know, solid starter because of so many other things that he does and understands. So, yeah, that's why I give JMS a slight edge. All right, Tittman, he's six six. He's a little tall, um, at least for, you know, as compared to a lot of centers. Did you see that show up in, in, in any way when you watched him? Is that not a concern for you? And, and what are the things that that you really liked about Tittman when you watched him at Wisconsin? Yeah, it, it was a concern. That's that's a big reason why I don't have him above JMS. Uh, you know, he reminds me he's very, very similar to uh, Josh Myers uh, coming out. Very good athlete. Uh, burst, change of direction. Very good. He's an outstanding puller. Um, you know, Wisconsin ran pin pull, I think nine, 10 times a game, uh, specifically for, for Joe Tipman to get out in space and track down linebackers. Uh, so 
he has kind of that ace up his sleeve, you know, where if you're going to, if you're a team that likes pin pull or wants to install more pin pull, uh, you want a pulling center, um, you know, Joe Tipman's definitely your guy. Uh, he's very efficient on, just in the zone run game as well. Combo blocks, uh, getting up to the second level, um, big frame, you know, casts a wide net with his wingspan and his frame. Um, you know, he's quick, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of good things. He, he quarterbacks the line pre-snap as well. He's, he's doing the mic points, you know, like JMS as well. He's very active, uh, in terms of communication on film, but yeah, plays with an exposed open chest, persistent forward lean, uh, stout defenders can gain an easy control over him, um, specifically on the first level, you know, uh, yeah. angle drive blocks, down blocks, base blocks, things like that. Uh, hand placement isn't very good. He falls off blocks a lot. He's on the ground probably a little bit more than JMS is. Um, you know, he just, you know, the first level is a little, not a little, it's up and down, you know, the second, third level, he's all, he's awesome. But, um, you know, if you can't take care of the first level, it doesn't really matter, you know, about the second level too much, especially in the NFL. Uh, so there's some questions there, you know, um, I, I think, but I, I think it's fair to say he has the best physical tools of any of these centers um, in terms of size, athletic ability. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot to like, but I, I think there's clearly some things that he needs to improve on. He, like I said, if you read my Josh Myers scouting report coming out of Ohio State and you watch Josh Myers in Green Bay, uh, that's, that's very similar to what you're getting with Joe Tittman, I think. Um, so yeah, that's, that's how I see him. Now, Cody Mock is somebody from a quote unquote smaller program, though. It, it's an excellent program and they beat a lot of, you know, uh, 1A schools. He's someone that we haven't seen play center, right? We saw him play a little bit of center at the senior ball mobile when we were down there, but he, you know, he moves so well. He was a tackle in college. What is it about his traits that, you know, to your point, you think, you know, better center than guard even that you think will translate into becoming a potential top end center. Yeah. I mean, Malk is an easy guy to like uh, for a variety of reasons, obviously, uh, you know, kind of the way he looks, uh, personality, um, you know, all, all those kind of things. Uh, but, you know, when you watch the film, North Dakota State, they're a one gap power team, um, excuse me, one back power team. Um, that, that's kind of their bread and butter. A gap, a gap power is what you see from them 80% of the time when they run the ball, um, which is nice because you get to see him execute a lot of gap concepts. So, um, you know, he he's very, I, I would call him a well-versed run blocker. Um, he, he's skilled. Uh, teams that want to run downhill concepts, I think, would like Cody Malk. Um, I think his upper body strength is good. I think once he latches into guys, his grip strength, upper body strength, his ability to steer and seal defenders on down blocks, double teams, kickouts is good. Uh, unrelenting finisher, uh, very good demeanor, tone setting kind of presence. Um, and then he also has very good balance, you know, as well um, to, to kind of keep his feet, you know, and he's good at the second level as well. Um, you know, he's definitely not going to play tackle. I don't think, uh, the, the jump for him, I think in terms of scheme is going to be more stark than the other two guys. Uh, you know, North Dakota States, a run heavy scheme. And when they do pass, it's a lot of quick game stuff. Um, you know, he, he's just going to have a more of a process, I think there to, to get used to pass protecting, uh, assuming he plays guard or center, you know, three techniques, shades. It's just going to be a different world for him um, in that regard. I think he has the traits to, you know, kind of, you know, iron out those those bumps over time, you know, for sure. He has the right demeanor and stuff like that. Uh, you know, he's high cut, lean, narrow, um, you know, not the biggest, most stout guy, but he is strong. Um, but, yeah, I just think for him, you know, the reason why I would kind of give those other two guys a slight edge is really what he's going to be asked to do compared to what he was asked to do in college. And then the level of competition is going to be dramatic um, difference. So that to me is just going to result, I think, in a little bit more of an adjustment phase for him. Um, and then, of course, that's going to depend on where he goes and what he's asked to do as well. If he goes to a heavy play action scheme like you guys, uh, you know, where you're running play action more than any team in the league, or, you know, one of the two or three most, that'll certainly help because he's going to have be able to set aggressively on guys, you know, in pass protection, not have to take a true pass set that often. Stuff like that, you know, you know, you could speed it up. But when I'm 
projecting for all 32 teams, you know, I just think more off more, there's a good chance that he's going to have a pretty steep adjustment curve. So yeah, yeah. They were 70, 30 run pass. I mean, you know, and they're running all gap scheme. So it's, it's going to be just different for him, but uh, there's a lot to like. What is it you really liked about Stromberg that has him that high for you? Uh, yeah. Stromberg fourth, fifth round grade for me. Um, yeah. Let me, let me pull up his report. I mean, you know, I just, I, I think with Stromberg, you know, the, the, it's, it's fun. It's fun to watch him. You know, when you first watch him, he, he, he looks, he kind of has a, has a sloppy build, honestly, you know, it doesn't really look that impressive. Bigger um, guy though, which is nice. What's that? I said, I, I said he's, yeah, he's a little bit of a bigger frame than uh, I think some of the other guys, right? Um, you know, he's six, three, three Oh six. Yeah. You know, his just three Oh six. So, okay. You know what? On, 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 on tape, he looked heavier than that to me. Yeah. He may have played a little heavier. His build is just not that impressive. You know, he, he you know, you watch, you see JMS at the combine, you see Tipman and, and Malk, they look like, you know, just they're well put together. I mean, JMS looks, he's rocked up. Um, Stromberg just doesn't look like that, but when That's you fair. watch him, uh, I love his physicality. He's extremely quick and efficient into the first level of run blocks um, or the first phase, excuse me. So we just talked about this on my podcast with Lance Airline and Duke. Um, you know, there's four phases of a run block, you know, uh, and the first phase is really just getting into the block, how you fit into contact, the speed, and then the leverage that you play with initially. I think for him, it is very impressive how he gets into guys. Um, and then from there, He's very instinctive and he's a very sticky run blocker. He knows how to utilize body positioning and manipulate leverage to his advantage to wall off seal and create alleys. Uh, he's very efficient working combination blocks. He certainly controls the, the operation pre-snap. He's active. He's making calls, uh, corrections when needed. Um, you know, there, he's very efficient passing off line games and stunts. So his, I think his processing skills are very good. Competitive toughness is very good. Um, he's, he, he gets the most out of, uh, what he has. He, he also tested really well, which I think is just kind of a bonus. I don't think he necessarily plays to that, but he is, I think more athletic than maybe given credit for, uh, you know, he, he has some lapses in balance and body control, especially at the second level. Um, there, there's going to be things that he's going to have to overcome. I think his change in direction and re reactionary quickness is adequate, um, so you see a lot of that manifest itself on the move. So, uh, those are some concerns there, but man, I've heard great things from people there, uh, you know, in, in the program at Arkansas that he's just kind of a, a staple, a leader. He's a throwback guy plays hurt, um, which is a huge thing for offensive line four year yeah. starter. Uh, I compared him to David Andrews, um, who was undrafted, you know, nobody thought David Andrews would be anything. Um, but so he's not quite, you know, undrafted material. He might go day three, I think, you know, but I could definitely see a guy winning very similarly to David Andrews. Very good in the first phase, very good at finishing. And, uh, you know, he's smart and tough. So, yeah, I'd love to bet on him in day three, you know, if I if I needed a center. Much like you mentioned earlier in, in, in the podcast, Brandon, and, and just uh, one or two more here, I've become – more of an advocate for bigger centers after I watched Dexter Lawrence basically toss Garrett Bradbury around for two games at the end of the year. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, you know, the Giants have to deal with Jordan Davis. They have to deal with Deron Payne. They have to deal with Jonathan Allen. And, you know, then the Cowboys run all those stunts and twists. So I went back and I watched Steve Avila and I liked him as I liked his guard tape. Then I went back and watched his center tape in 2021. I got to be honest with you. I was pretty impressed by it. I thought it was good. Do you consider him as a potential center? And if you do, where would you kind of stack him with these other guys? Because just watching him, I love the position flex. He's played a lot in four different spots. I think he would be a really good, probably early second day pick for somebody that could really be a weapon on that offensive line that you can use in a bunch of different spots, but primarily, of course, at, at, at Garden Center. Yep. Yeah, I'm with you. He's I have him higher rated than all these guys. So uh, do I. Yeah. yeah, he's my number one guard. Uh, so... Yeah, I mean, you know, Steve Avilas, you know, almost 6'4", 335, um, you know, has the the size, the frame, the build uh, that you want for a guard, um, you know, who could play center. He's also played right tackle. Um, and I think that really manifests itself in pass protection and the, the body control that he plays with. That's why I gave him the edge over Cyrus Torrance, because uh, he plays a better body control. Um, he's not as big and as long as Torrance, but he's just a little bit more efficient. 
Um, so, you know, plus he, he still brings heavy hands. He delivers for, force and jolt at the point of attack. He can hold the point of attack. He can, he can create displacement. Um, you know, and the great thing about TCU, even though they're air raid, um, you know, they're, that's a downhill power run scheme. You know, they're running duo inside yep. zone gap stuff. So you get to see him really impose his will on guys in the big 12, um, which, which is awesome. He's stout and pass, pass protection, great senior bowl as well. Um, yeah, I mean, and everything I've heard about him is very good, uh, as well. Um, I think the Georgia game was incredible. Uh, the Michigan game against Maisie Smith was his best tape, I thought. Uh, so he plays up to competition as well when he sees real NFL level guys. Um, the Georgia tape, you know, they're losing by 60 and uh, he's out there finishing dudes, burying dudes. Um, it was just a very impressive tape. Uh, so I, I like what he was asked to do. I feel like you were, you were able to see him execute everything you want to see a, a, a guard execute. And then he has tackle guard versatility in his back pocket, which, you know, most likely, you know, center, you know, versatility in the NFL. But it, the fact that he was able to play right tackle a couple games, get him out of a pinch. That's just a nice kind of ace, you know, in, in, in the hole as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I compared him to a kind of an old school guy, Justin Blaylock. I don't know if anybody should remember him, but he's a, long time good starter for the Falcons uh and very similar play style uh to Avila so I like Avila um maybe Larry Warford is another more recent guy that people can think of uh you know to get an idea of, of Avila uh former Saints Lions guard so that that's who I see a solid starter you know probably won't ever get to a Pro Bowl but man he's gonna be solid for you is there anything about his profile that would make you worried about making him your primary center as opposed to a guard not really. No. Um, I just think there's more value in having the guard, you know, really. So that's where I'd want to try him first. Um, but you know, yeah, not really. I, I don't think, yeah. I, I liked his guard tape a little bit more than center, honestly, myself, but, um, there wasn't really anything that glaring to me that says that, yeah, he can't play center. So I, I think that's certainly possible for him. All right, Brandon, I'll leave the floor open to you with this offensive line class. You studied it up and down, you know, something that we haven't talked about yet that, that you think fans need to know about it as they head into the 2023 NFL draft. Um, I mean, that they need to know about the offensive line class. Yeah, uh, you can go any direction you want. Pick a player, the class in general, go wherever you want to go. That's, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, I would probably say... Uh, I would just focus on, you know, day three guys. There, There's some guys there. I would say there's at least three or four guys on day three that are probably going to start this year, um, which, you know, looking at some of the research of the prior years is maybe average to above average, um, you know, compared to how many guys typically, typically come out of a class. And I even, I even think in the undrafted pool, there's some potential guys that that could at least compete for a job um, in this class. So while it's not as top heavy, you know, and, and like, you know, full of blue chip kind of guys at the top, um, you know, I think that as you get later in this draft, there's there's certainly guys kind of scattered throughout that could at least compete for jobs and be quality backups with starting potential within their first contract. So um, yeah, I'm going to have a little bit more on that coming out here soon, but yeah, that, that's kind of one of my takeaways from putting all this together and grading almost 60 guys in this class. I think there's, there, there's some of those guys, maybe more than given credit for. I know you mentioned a couple of names earlier. Who was, who were some of those guys on, on day three that you think could kind of come in and, and start pretty soon? I mean, the, with the potential to start, you know, I, um, there's a, there's a guy named Anthony Bradford. I, I just talked about him in depth on my podcast with Duke and Lance, uh, LSU guard, young, inexperienced, uh, has a lot to clean up in pass protection, I think, before he could start. But, um, you know, 6'3", 335, uh, in the linear plane, which, you know, straight, straight forward, straight backward, anchoring, you know, delivering force, creating displacement. This dude is a, is, is a monster. Um his tape against Jalen Carter, I think, speaks volumes. Uh, he's a guy I would love to get on day three because, especially if you're if you're running, if you're a true multiple scheme and not like 
you know, one of the more zone oriented places and, and you, you uh, want to like go downhill on guys, um, you know, run a lot of inside zone uh, power counter, things like that. I think he has probably a, a pathway to start within the next couple of years. Um, he, he would be one I would really like. I mentioned Nassim Richards. I think he's kind of a similar guy. Uh, I think Alex Forsyth has a shot as well, the Oregon center. Uh, he has some injury stuff though. He might not even get drafted, but he's a good player. Um, CD. So from Eastern Michigan, that's, that's a, a good that's one. kind of a, a random name. Uh, but I really liked his run blocking as well. Uh, he again has a lot of work to do in pass protection, but he's big, strong, six, five, three thirty, long arms tested well, uh, like Bradford. Um, and he wins, he could win right now as a run blocker. It's just pass protection. He needs, he needs some work. So that's another one. I think juice struggles. Uh, Juice Struggs from Penn State has a shot. Uh, he doesn't stick on blocks very well, but he's strong. Um, you know, played played a lot of football, guard center versatility. I, I see him as a backup, but that's another guy. Um, going down this list, th there's a there's a guy from Oregon that I wound up liking quite a bit. I gave him a six round grade, but I could see him, you know, in three four years potentially being a quality backup who could play. Uh, his name's Sala. Umave Lalu. Um, well done. He played right tackle for Oregon. Uh, probably play guard at the next level, 6'6, 320, and he moves really well. He's featured in their run game. Fun to watch. Naturally, a really powerful guy. Uh, he, he's a potential guy. And, and I mean, I could go on. There's more like when you're talking sixth, seventh round, there's guys that just show one or two things on tape that you really like that you're like, okay, I can at least work off of that. You're hunting traits, right? Oh yeah. You're hunting traits and skill, you, you know, I, I think as well, not just traits, but if a guy does one thing really well, you know, and then he has some traits to back it up. Yeah. That, that's what you're looking for. So there's several of those guys, man, late in the draft that I, you know, they're probably only going to be backups, but man, everybody needs a quality backup on the offensive line. So th these guys have value, you know, damn right. Brandon, good stuff. Tell the folks with you can all your great work. Yeah. So trenchwarfare.substack.com is uh, where I, primarily do most of my stuff. And then if you want to read all my scouting reports, I think I have over 50 of them this year. Um, and then the last two classes, every offensive lineman drafted uh, bleacher report. So yeah, those are the main, main spots. Brandon, appreciate the time, my friend. Talk to you soon. Enjoy the draft. We're here. All right, man. Thanks. Brandon Thorne, Sean O'Hara on this episode of the John Settle podcast. Thank you for joining us, everybody. It's all brought to you by PSCNG. We'll see you next time.